Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, before this episode starts, I want to talk about some pretty cool news. Oki Investigations now has its own website. It's truecrime.blog. And it is a running blog for crime stories and for this show. So if you're a true crime buff and you want to see some cool things that we gathered while researching each show, including a like timeline of events that we put together, uh, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more, come check us out at truecrime.blog. One, two, three, Hello everyone and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. In this episode, we're going to discuss one of Oklahoma's most infamous criminals, Richard Lee McNair. This robber-turned-killer became particularly famous for his many escapes while in custody. When you find out how his most recent escape was done, you will know why he's in the same prison with the likes of El Chapo. In this episode, we'll discuss what happened, why, and what's happened since. But first, if you're a first-time listener, to experience this podcast to its finest, hit that subscribe button so when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Then, head on over to our Facebook page. Here we can discuss the case together, and perhaps come up with our own theories on the many cases that will be featured on this show. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations. I hope everyone's doing well this week. It's Thanksgiving week. We have a lot to look forward to. But for a lot of us, Thanksgiving will perhaps be just a little different. For the last few years, I've done a Friendsgiving at my house. It was you know, time to catch up with those that I love and, you know, friends and family. But this year, like, oh, so many things, it was canceled. We're down to just a much smaller affair with the family, and that's fine. Because this really is not the year for big gatherings. I am thankful, however, for having such a supportive and loving wife two amazing teens that are becoming responsible adults and a strong family unit with my parents and sisters. I'm also thankful for you all for coming by and listening to the show. This is a product of 2020. This show was shaped by so much of what is going on and I really do hope you guys enjoy it. You know what's funny is this show was going to be so different whenever I first conceived it. First of all, episodes were going to be much, much less frequent. I was going to have an episode here or there, and we were going to kind of do deeper dives into uh, particular crimes, and maybe not so much, not so many crimes, I guess you would say, that are um, just more historical. Uh, we're going to kind of look at things that were happening 
that's happened like in the last 20 years. And that way we could interview people and get other people's takes on things and kind of look into things that were more unsolved here in Oklahoma, which, you know, we will do a little bit of, but mostly, you know, we're looking into, uh, you know, solved crimes. The original name for this show was actually something along the lines of Unsolved Oklahoma or something like that. Great title, if anybody ever wants to uh, start their own podcast, there you go. <laughs> you could have that one for free. But one thing I've really enjoyed about this process is I've enjoyed looking into the lesser known uh, historical crimes here in Oklahoma. Those have been a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy those. The process of looking those up and kind of digging through those is kind of difficult, but it's really rewarding when you find, you know, exactly what you're looking for. So much of that, of those eras, the, the 20s and 30s and 40s, so much was recorded, and it's fun digging through all of that to find, you know, certain bits of information here or there about certain crimes. And so uh, I, I really enjoyed that process. This week we are looking at other criminals that were born here in Oklahoma that have gone either done horrible things here in Oklahoma or have gone on and done horrible things elsewhere. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this one, so let's go ahead and get to it. Richard Lee McNair was born on December 19, 1958 in Altus, Oklahoma. He was the son of a reserve police officer and was described as being very intelligent for his age. His brother was actually quoted saying that he was the smartest person I've ever met. He was a good guy that I always admired until he made bad choices. In 1987, Bignair was in the Air Force and he was stationed in a small town called Minot, North Dakota. Hopefully I'm not butchering that name. Financially, Bignair wasn't doing so well. He was just swimming in debt and over his head and didn't really see any easy way to get out of it. That's when McNair started hatching a plan to rob a grain storage facility that was nearby the base. Now what's kind of tragic about this robbery is that everything just kind of goes wrong. I think what McNair was kind of going for with robbing a grain storage facility was that if he were to do it at the right time, there would be nobody there. They might have some things there that might be worth stealing and selling. Or, I mean, I don't see cash being on hand there. But tragically, McNair was startled by two workers that were there at the grain facility. McNair panicked. He shot at them. There was a truck driver. His name was Jerry Thighs. He died of his wounds. The other person that was there, he was actually shot four times but survived. McNair fled the scene, but it wasn't too long after that the police were searching just for him. Perhaps not believing that they had much on him, McNair went ahead and surrendered himself to the local authorities. It quickly became apparent to McNair that the police had zeroed in on him and he was not getting out of this one. So at some point, they had handcuffed McNair to a chair 
in front of three deputies, no less. At this point, authorities had not taken his items from him yet. So one of the personal belongings he had was lip balm. And what he did was he used the lip balm on his hand and he was able to work the cuffs up off his wrist and over his hand and he was able to actually pretty much walk right out of the police station now he didn't get very far the police actually did change some all over town and he actually went up a building three flights of stairs and kind of pretty much cornered himself in this building and McNair decided he was going to jump into a tree and I guess climb down the tree or use the tree as I guess a, a fall break where he would he wouldn't kill himself I guess going down well he leaped onto a branch the branch broke and he fell all the way to the ground and injured his back and that's how they captured him he he hurt himself and he ended up in the hospital McNair's trial didn't go much better than his first attempt at escape he was sentenced to two life terms one for the murder another one for attempted murder and then they tacked on extra years i think it was like 30 years on top of that for the robbery in the first place now in a foiled attempt mcnair was found to have been chiseling away at some concrete blocks in his cell this was in 1988, and I found it kind of interesting that it only took him a few years to really start working up another plan on his escape. After that plan was ruined, McNair came up with another idea and was able to hatch that plan just a short few years later in 1992. McNair gained access to a ventilation duct and he was able to crawl through the ventilation system with two other prisoners. The two prisoners that, that escaped with McNair, they didn't last very long. They were not prepared to live a life on the run. McNair, however, he was in this for the long haul. Uh, those two, they were caught within just days after escaping. McNair was on the run for 10 months. Now, according to most reports, McNair had spent most of his time going from stolen vehicle to stolen vehicle. He would go and dye his hair blonde in an attempt to, to, an attempt to disguise himself. He was eventually recaptured in Grand Island, Nebraska in 1993. At this time, the North Dakota Department of Corrections, they deemed McNair a problematic inmate and arranged his transfer through the Interstate Compact to Minnesota Correctional Facility, the Oak Park Heights. Now, something I found kind of interesting was he spent a lot of time at this facility and he quickly figured out there was he had no chance of escaping this facility. So he participated in what's called a sit-down strike, and this actually caused his transfer back to North Dakota. He was then later transferred to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. He was then assigned to a maximum security facility. 
which was right next to the ADX Florence facility, which is one of the most highly profile case prisons. Like, that's where you keep all your problematic people. You never want them to escape. Well, this place was right next to it. Being so close to that high-profile facility, McNair knew that escape was really unlikely here as well. So he put in for a transfer to another federal facility that was closer to his parents' home in Oklahoma. He used that as an excuse so that they could come and visit him. But what he was really doing was just kind of window shopping for a prison that he could escape from. Now, it was at this facility. He was actually in Louisiana. Now, this is just a year after Katrina, so we're in 2006 at this time. McNair got a job in the prison where he was to repair old, torn mailbags. And this is a position that he had for, a, you know, quite some time while there. And it was through this job that McNair started to put together a plan of escape. Now, while alone, McNair had been constructing what he was calling the escape pod. You see, with McNair's job, he had some incoming deliveries, and he also sent outgoing deliveries. And he used this escape pod as a way to hide himself in one of his outgoing deliveries. It was equipped with a breathing tube, and it was covered by all the sacks that he worked on. And he climbed inside and pretty much just waited. Eventually, his pallet was then shrink-wrapped, and then a forklift came by, picked it up, and took it to a nearby storage facility. This was outside of the prison gates. So he was able to, um, after being dropped off there, he was able to pretty much break open the crate and then walk right out of the facility now mcnair was counting on he was he was going to be missed at 6 p.m that's when his shift ended and that's when he was supposed to go ahead and report in to go back to his cell well he was noticed before then as missing and the prison wasn't sure at this point if he had escaped or if he was just where he wasn't supposed to be that Having worked in a jail, I've, I've seen that before many times. So not long after escaping the prison, McNair is jogging alongside these railroad tracks. And he is stopped by a police officer. And this officer knows that McNair is a possible escapee for the prison. Now this officer had a description of the inmate, but he did not have a photo, and the photos that were available to police were very poor quality, and sadly the description of McNair was way out of date. And so he looked a little different than he did at the time. The officer questioned him for about 10 minutes because he did kind of meet the description that he was given, but ultimately he decided that this wasn't the guy. McNair had a plausible story. He said he was a roofer and that's why he had some injuries on him. He then told the officer he was there for a kind of a post-Katrina work job where he was helping people uh, with their roofs there in Louisiana after the uh, disaster of Katrina. 
The officer believed him and let him go, and that pretty much started a pretty crazy journey for McNair, who already at this time has pretty much proven himself as a escapee survivalist, really. McNair's had a lot of time to think about what he would do if he escaped, and he was able to actually put all of that into action. Two weeks after his escape, McNair was already in Canada. He had stolen a car, and authorities had pulled him over because they knew that the vehicle he was driving was stolen. Um, when they pulled him over, he got out and escaped on foot. He was able to get out as quick as possible. The authorities found a camera inside the vehicle that had uh, multiple pictures of himself, and then they found fingerprints in the vehicle. They were able to identify him pretty quickly due to the news coverage of his escape and his appearances on America's Most Wanted. They said that the digital camera that they found uh, with all the photos of himself, they said that they think that he was using that to make a fake ID for himself. McNair was featured about 12 times on America's Most Wanted, and each time he would note down that he was featured and he would stock up on supplies pretty much and stay in one place and not move around a whole lot and kind of wait, you know, lay low for a few days. And then he would just kind of move on like everything's normal. He traveled back to the United States and went back to Canada a couple times each. Yeah, while in Canada, he planned on purchasing some land out there. Uh, there was a property near a lake that he had looked at and then ultimately decided that he didn't want it um, for reasons of there was only one escape route. Eventually, he was captured. And what's interesting about this, it was his own doing. He had stolen a van and he got a do-it-yourself kit of a window tent and tinted the windows real dark where you couldn't look in. Well, that caught the eye of a police officer because the window tint was actually done pretty poorly. And so they went ahead and decided to pull him over just to check things out because a lot of people do that with vans so that they could smuggle items across the border or across the country. Now, the officer did not make the stop there. What he did was he noted the license plate and the vehicle description and noted that it was headed towards a nearby town. Well, the next day, a six-week rookie named Stephanie Gargan had spotted the vehicle and knew of its description from the other report and decided that she was going to go ahead and check it out. When she tried to pull the vehicle over, McNair led them on a pretty low-speed chase, which ended in a foot chase where he was then captured. Besides the attempt at escape, McNair didn't really put up any struggle once he was captured. At this point, he said that he had given up his violent ways. Now returned to the United States, McNair is actually serving his prison sentence in one of the top prisons, one of the, well, top federal prisons here in the United States. It is the ADX Florence Supermax Prison. This prison is the host of the most notorious criminals across the United States. 
Um, this is where people like El Chapo are serving their time. Since his recapture and new home in Supermax, McNair has pretty much settled down as an inmate. There's really no way for him to escape this prison, and I doubt he'll ever try. Strangely enough, there is a Twitter account for Richard Lee McNair. I don't know how much control he actually has over this Twitter account. He seems to be controlled by a website, the ByronChristopher.org, uh, which has some interesting takes into what prison life there at the Supermax facility is actually like. I actually recommend checking it out. It's pretty interesting. Brian Christopher is also the author of a book called The Man Who Meld Himself Out of Jail. It's about this story. I have not read it, but I do have this on my reading list now. So I will definitely be purchasing a copy very shortly. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you don't mind hitting the follow button, uh, that really helps us out and alerts you whenever we have new episodes come out. Typically, every Sunday we have a new episode. We're going to continue this series for the next couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm kind of eager to get to some of these other ones that we're going to kind of end on, so I hope you guys really stick with this one. I will see you guys next Sunday. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and stay safe out there. See ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.